You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is going to be huge. 360 in the contract, never that. I just take the contact, I'll bring it back. I'm running on the fast break, behind the back. Yeah, this, that, this, that, this, that. Dirk with the Welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, media member at MavsMoneyBall.com, and I am joined today by the co-founder of TheStepian.com, Cole Zwicker. Cole, thank you so much for joining me, man. Thanks for having me on. That was excellent pronunciation. I think you're the first guy that's gotten that right the first time. Your name or the, the website? Well, actually, probably both, but my name <laughs> especially. Last, last name's tough for a lot of people. <laughs> Zwicker, just you put the Z and the W together. You get a lot of Z Weicker, like it just deviates a lot. It's, it's super German, so I don't expect a lot of people to know it. <laughs> well, as someone with a very German name, I have, you know, I have no, no one has ever gotten my name right the first time. So there you go. But uh, Cole is uh, graciously joined us on this podcast today because he is, uh, like I said, the co-founder of the Stepian, which is basically replaced Draft Express for me as the site that I go to all the time for you know draft stuff. They have their rankings up all the time, updating them with tiers, with different prospects for 2018. I think you also have 2019 up there as well um, for, for rankings. Articles just going up all the time. Really good guys that are writing for that site. Uh, first of all, I just want to ask you, like, what made you want to start the step in? Did you just see Draft Express going away and we're like, oh my gosh, there's a market we can corner on that? <laughs> what did you guys, what made you guys yeah. decide to do that? That was definitely part of it. We just saw an opportunity to capitalize on a market that we felt like there was demand for. And then we just wanted to kind of control information the way we wanted to convey it. So present draft information in a different way. I think there's a lot of group thinking draft talk. There's a lot of conventional wisdom about how guys approach the process. And we don't, you know, pretend to be experts or anything like that, but we do have a specific way of thinking and conveying information. So we just wanted a, a platform to do that. Speaking of, uh, there's a lot of group think and you guys going against some of that group think the first, the one question I really wanted to ask, which I'm sure you've been asked a thousand times is you guys currently have Marvin Bagley as the seventh ranked player in this draft coming up. Uh, <laughs> give me your, give me your like 30 second to a couple minutes, uh, defense on that. Mine personally is just that I like other guys more. I like Bagley. I think he's a safe prospect. His athleticism, finishing upside. He's just an awesome athlete, great leaper, kind of a generational leaper, honestly, when you talk about his second jump. But just I see higher upside on the board. I think this is going to be a really awesome class, potentially one of the best classes of the last 20 years. Just if you look at the ceiling outcome guys at the top of the class, Bagley doesn't really add up to a lot of these guys as far as what their peak contribution level is at the NBA level. I think a lot of guys rank guys based on production and safety. And if you're one of those guys, like I'm on a podcast of Sam Vecini, the game theory podcast, and right. he has, I'm a top three because that's his rationale. I like to shoot more for upside at the top of the draft. Yeah. Uh, man, if you think that there are guys that have you know a lot of, a lot more upside than Marvin Bagley in, in this draft, then uh, Mavs fans should be happy because they're going to get one of these. Hopefully it's a top seven, top five pick and get a chance at one of these guys. That is, I mean, that's, it's crazy that two years in a row, there's going to be these really, you know, top heavy drafts. Oh yeah. This two great classes after the really bad 2016 draft mass fans should be fortunate. Obviously Dennis Smith, I was really high on him falling to nine. I'm still really high on him. Just rare physical traits and skill levels for the point guard. You just don't see a lot of guys come around. Like in this draft, there isn't really a Dennis Smith as far as athletically. Colin Sexton compares a little bit, but he doesn't have anything near Smith's explosion yeah. or kind of just general shot projection. So yeah, two great drafts in a row. 
Yeah, it's a great time to be bad in the NBA, I guess. <laughs> it's a great time to, to be a rebuilding <laughs> team. Uh, you also, uh, before we get into our, our list that Isaac and I did yesterday, uh, you also have Jaron Jackson ahead of both Bagley and Mo Bamba. That's, that's sort of against the grain right now. Uh, I like Jaron Jackson a lot, but uh, you're higher on him than I think a lot of people. Yeah, I actually have Bamba one spot before. Our, our overall rankings have it flipped, I believe, just we have some guys that have Jaron Jackson as high as, I want to say, three. I go back and forth between those two guys. I really like them both. Yeah. Uh, Bamba's more of an upside play as far as his length, just having those outlier physical traits. Jackson, I think, is just a really safe bet to be on a winning caliber team as a kind of a unicorn type just he has the best instincts and reactionary athleticism, protecting the rim in the class, two level defensive player. And then honestly, he's been a great shooter this year. The form doesn't look great, but it goes in. So you kind of just have to assume <laughs> that it will. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, eventually if something keeps happening, you're like, man, this might be a thing. It always happens. It doesn't ever looks great, but I mean, he has the results there. Even back to EYBL, he shot well from three. He profiles well at the foul line. So it's just, he profiles well as a shooter. So, all right, let's get into our top 10 draft picks. If you guys did not listen to uh, the podcast yesterday, Isaac and I went through our top 10 as the Mavericks should draft these guys. So let's say they had, you know, the number one pick. This is who they should pick. This They had the number two. This is who they should go with second if this guy's off the board. So we picked with who the Mavericks should draft. Now, we had a little bit of a difference at the top, and I went with Luka Doncic, and Isaac pushed back on that because he doesn't think that the fit with Dennis Smith Jr. would be good. He has some concerns about Doncic as a uh, – he thinks he should definitely be a primary ball handler, and that's where he's best, and Dennis should be a primary ball handler, and he sees some some issues with that. And then just the questions about his athleticism, the questions about his, um, you know, his defensive, like where does he fit defensively. Uh, and then a lot of people are asking me. I'm, I'm surprised by this because he's been such a. I feel like he's been co- like almost overcovered as a you know as an international prospect at this point. But give me the uh, the Luka Doncic is a transcendent player spiel. <laughs> I just think he has rare instincts as a passer, a creator. He's so dynamic and pick and roll as far as just how he thinks the game there. And p- the people that question his athleticism as far as being able to score the ball. He has a projectable jump shot off the dribble. He's shown that in a various amount of ways. He, he scores in a multiple amount of ways there as far as off screens, off the dribble, off the catch. But really, it's the, the dynamic of him being in pick and roll as a primary ball handler, being a 6'8", 6'9", guy where you have to chase over the top of the screen because you have to respect his shot. And then he's a high-level passer and decision maker. So having that decision-making equity on your team as far as playing at the highest levels of play, those kinds of instincts you just can't teach. He has that quick vision ability he reacts quickly defensively it's not like the guy's you know tyler ulis he's six eight with yeah. a 220 pound frame i don't think he's the best laterally but he's a good team defender and we've kind of seen like lonzo has issues as like a you know lateral agility point of attack defender but he's an awesome team defender so i think i see kind of similar as far as mentality and brain trust with luca there the fit with Dennis Smith is really interesting just because Dennis is not the best off ball. Honestly, like I think his spot up jumper is fine. So he can play off the ball. He's not going to be a nuisance because he's actually pretty good off the catch when he's open, but he's not a high level mover and like cutter and stuff. But really how many teams you need two creators on most teams. Yeah. Like LeBron's the only guy I can remember really that can do all the playmaking by himself. You need multiple guys who can, you know, get to the rim, get to their spots offensively and create for others. And, Pairing Luca with a guy like Smith who can really get to the rim, I think that would be like an awesome fit. Um, if you could iron out some off-ball stuff with Smith, maybe get some down-screen actions that gets him moving. 
that gets him more involved in the play. But I do think there's a lot of fit concerns or, or fit positives there that would be beneficial to both. And plus, I just think Luke is the best player on the board, so I would just take him. Yeah, we, we, we've talked to Dennis about playing off ball a lot so far this season, and he, he hasn't played a ton. He's, he played, as of a week ago, I think it was like 19% of his minutes with J.J. Barea, and that's really the only time he's going to be playing off balls when he's playing with Barea. And he just looks really lost in that, in that sense. And he said he was kind of lost. He's like, I don't think I am a leader, and I don't think I am you know like controlling this team when I am having to play off ball. Uh, but like you said, if they, if, you th- if they can, you know, coach him up a little bit in that area, I think that the fit could be really good because uh, you got Dennis attacking. He can go, you know, the north and south, and then the Doncic he can, uh, you know, he can shoot off, you know, off the the dribble. He can also take in some catch and shoot shots from from Dennis, and I think that pairing could be good. Like you said, with two two definite ball handlers. The one question I have about about Doncic that I you know I don't have either have enough film access to or whatever is is three point shooting average has dipped every single year. Uh, What can you say to that? Like where do you think that it's a, uh, just he's being guarded more? Do you think it's, what do you think uh, attributes to that? I think a little bit of shot selection. I think he takes some contested shots there. He has that high free throw percentage mark every year and he has shot diversity. So I think those two things outweigh him. I think over time, maybe he tinkers a little bit with his mechanics. Sometimes it's a little bit of a slow release. He doesn't get a ton of elevation, but he gets a lot of power. So you see that like the definite range with him. I don't think he's going to have any problem shooting from NBA three. Is he like a knockdown shooter? Not right now. But I do think that he profiles as one of those guys that you could see reaching that level in the future. I don't think that I don't look at him and see shooting as an issue. Yeah. Uh, one quick thing before we, we move on from, from Luca is that Solomon Mejuri played with him, uh, I think in, in the Euro leagues in, in w- one of the teams that, that he was on, but he said he played with him when he was 15, when Luca was 15 years old and they brought him in and they start, he started him in like a championship game. And he said he was just destroying everybody. And he was like, Sala was like this 15 year old kid came in <laughs> out of nowhere and was like, you know, beating everybody off the dribble. <laughs> he was like, who is this guy? Like, where did this kid come from? Uh, so he, he was very high on him, said he could, you know, be a transcendent player and all that stuff. And it's funny to hear Sala talk about anything because he's very, he's <laughs> as animated off the court as he is on the court. Yeah, and that's Luca right there. I mean, he's been doing it. He's been performing and producing from such a young age at the second best league in the world. And he's improving too. Like he's getting better as far as his creation ability. You see the subtle improvements. And he can still improve. I think a lot of the the narrative behind him is always oh, already so skilled. But he can improve as a finisher. I think he can improve his touch. He can improve kind of his body control around the rim. He can improve the angles he takes on both sides of the floor. So there's still avenues for him to get better. He's just one of those outlier skill guys that, you know, gets compressed into this box of oh he's he's great but when you talk about these very extreme cases like a Stephen Curry or Nikola Jokic on other positions like these guys can get better they have the they have the intellectual IQ they have those those components working for them they can still improve yeah the uh one thing I I liked about uh well with uh with him being able to improve I read Ben Falk on uh, cleaning the glass the other day about his uh his draft review of of Luka Doncic so far and he said that Luca is probably as good as, let's say, like prime Hidu Turkoglu, <laughs> like when when Hidu Turkoglu was really really good. And he said some people think that well, if if you think he's prime Hidu Turkoglu, then that's what he's going to turn into. But that he's starting at that point right now. <laughs> he's starting at you know a, a, like a prime Hidu Turkoglu, and he was really good playing with, you know, playing with Dwight, being the sort of the focal point of, of an offense, being able to to create and stuff. That's sort of his starting point. <laughs> if you think about that as his starting point, he has so much more, you know, he can improve and go up and he's improved up to this point. So his ceiling is, you know, is incredible. 
Exactly. That's a great comp. That's one of the comps that I've used. He's really tough to comp, by the way. Right. Like people ask all the time, who's your comparison for Luka Doncic? And it's always like starting at Turgaloo and then building from there. And that's really high praise because Turgaloo was an awesome player at his peak. Yeah, he was, uh, I mean, he was probably the second best player on that finals team that uh, that went and played the Lakers. Maybe Jameer yeah, Nelson? Yeah, I and Rashard Lewis is up there, but he was more of like a, a, a spacing guy. He wasn't great on defense. He just added that really specific dynamic of like, spacing from the corners with Dwight. But yeah, I, I think that Turgulu, just because he facilitated the offense more, was more important. All right, the uh, in a, in our uh, in our top tens, do you see anything in there that you're like, this is ridiculous? How how could you guys even put this guy like, even <laughs> in the top ten, or how can you have this guy over another guy as far as fits for the Mavericks? I think you guys both have the consensus top nine, honestly. Like, it's pretty hard to dispute at this point the top nine guys. A lot of guys are a little bit lower on Colin Sexton uh, just because he hasn't performed quite as much. If you're going to take a point guard, I would take Trey Young over Colin Sexton, even if you're the Mavericks, pretty easily. I just think he's the better talent. The one guy that stands out is like, I'm, I don't, wouldn't have him top 10 is Kevin Knox. I just don't think he's performed to that level. I get the allure of him if, as you get down to like 13, but in the top like 10 to 11 guys, I would take Miles Bridges over Kevin Knox easily. Yeah, Isaac, I think, just really wanted to talk about him, so he threw him, he threw him in number <laughs> 10 go. at that point. Uh, and my only thing with, with Colin Sexton over Trey Young is I, I think that the the fire that Colin Sexton plays with I think could be really, really good for Dennis because sometimes Dennis is, like, aloof, and he needs that, like, you know, fire lit under him, and so I think that could be good. I, I would not. You know, obviously I have them 8 and 9 for the Mavericks. I wouldn't want to take them because I think the fit would just be kind of tough, but that was my only thing with, with Colin Sexton over Trey Young. That's an interesting point. I, I didn't consider that. Colin definitely has that fire. He's like one of the most competitive guys I've ever seen on a court. But considering how much the Mavericks use two-point guard lineups, that's kind of interesting because I know Carlisle likes that. I mean, they've even gone three-point guard lineups a lot this year from what I've seen uh, back against backups and stuff, and they can afford to do that against opposing wings that aren't like dynamic creators. So I don't know. I mean, they already have Yogi in that role. Maybe they don't invest in two-point guards that high. I think they're probably going to look for a big yeah, uh, the three-point guard lineups. <laughs> there's the <laughs> there's the uh, the inf- now infamous lineup of uh, of Berea, Yogi Ferrell, and Devin Harris as your three players in the backcourt, and that's like their best lineup by far. And it was one of the best lineups in the NBA. Like it just had an incredible net rating. Uh, it's incredible. It's almost like. Uh, you you get excited about that that lineup being good, and then you're like, man, is this just? Are we just like? Like, uh, giving Carlisle what he wants. Like, is it, with this lineup being good, is this just like giving him, you know, as he like he's a junkie, like a drug junkie, and you're just giving him, you just keep giving him little doses, and you're like, this is working, this is working, and he's gonna keep doing it. Uh, I don't, I don't. Want Only it. Carlisle, man. That's that's incredible. Gosh, I call them, I call that lineup, and that's with uh with Dwight and Dirk. I call that the savvy six because, and the six one is Carlisle because without Carlisle, that lineup would not be as good as it is. Yeah, for real. So uh, another player, uh, two players that I, I found interesting. At the beginning of the year, it seemed like to me, at least from looking around you know, different sites, and uh, it seemed like DeAndre Ayton and Mo Bamba were kind of linked together. It was like these two centers, and they were sort of in the same place on on people's boards and rankings, and they seem to have separated. Ayton seems to now have jumped into potentially top, you know, top pick in the draft, and Bamba seemed to be in that, you know, I think, think four to like six range. What has really separated those two guys? Aiton's just so freakish, his movement skills, just his general size. He looks like David Robinson playing college basketball, which is 
he's mesmerizing to watch. So when you watch both of those guys, Aiton just stands out more. He's more skilled on ball too. So people naturally gravitate towards the offense. He's got more offensive game than Bomb at this juncture. He can carve out space in the post. You know, he can catch lods. He's shown some fluidity attacking like off the dribble a little bit too as a passer. So I just think that the size kind of movement skill combination with that skill level has just put him on a different level because people are always thinking upside and you look at Aiton, and a lot of people see this next dynamic kind of imposing big because he can move in space defensively too. Whereas Bamba, he's utilized a lot in the post, which he's terrible at right now because he can't carve out space because of his lower body girth. So like he, he'll shoot threes, Bamba will, but they, they rarely go in. So he's just a lot less yeah. dynamic as an offensive player. Of course, he's a better rim protector. He's got that enormous block rate. But I think most people just gravitate towards Aiton's physical makeup and then his offensive skill. Yeah, Bamba, the one thing that I've noticed with him is he has a seven foot nine wingspan. By the way, that's my dog Laker. By the way, he is uh, very excited to talk <laughs> about draft coverage. He is that seven foot nine wingspan, which is just incredible. I think that that would be super hard to shoot. It's like almost talking about Shaq shooting free throws, like with his hands. Like just that long of a wingspan, it would be pretty hard to, to shoot, I think. <laughs> that would be such a, a big uh, obstacle. His form looks kind of weird. It's not super fluid, but he he has shown the proclivity to make a spot like corner three. I've seen him warm up like before hoop summit, and he was taking some NBA threes. I think that that aspect of his game is a bit overrated right now. Like it's within his realm of outcomes that he actually shoots threes from like a, a spot setting right. in the future in the NBA. But I don't think he's gonna like run off a screen and shoot like that. So yeah, go go bear with a three point shot is what you hear a lot with him as far as his upside. It's not completely ridiculous, and that's kind of why I can't quit him is because he has those ridiculous he has the ridiculous length he moves really well in space defensively and he's not being utilized the right way like i think he'd be fine in like a stretch stick and roll as a dive guy interesting yeah well when you when you say rim protector with a three-point shot that automatically perks anybody's ears like casual fan you know a guy that doesn't really cover yeah. the draft that much you're like oh my gosh like really really that's this is a guy that you know can those are two things that are such buzzwords right now the, yeah, uh, he's conceptually that he's just not probably he's not a safe projection as that, but uh, he is a safe projection as a rim protector, of course. But the, the three point shot is a little bit more into the future. Yeah, well, and he's at least starting with a capable three point shot instead of some of these guys that are, you know, Dwight Howard when he tries, you know, like when he tries to now <laughs> add a three point shot, like he's not starting from there. Yeah, you can always tell when a big can't shoot. I think that's pretty obvious from the off. It's like some guys just have no fluidity. He's not one of those guys. It's just he's not going to step out and be Lowry marketing in year one or even probably year four. Where do you where do you have DeAndre Ayton as compared to some of these bigs that we've seen, these dynamic bigs in the past? Is with you know Carl Anthony Towns, you have Anthony Davis, you have, uh, I mean, even DeMarcus Cousins, you have guys like that. Where Where do you think he, I don't know if you want to say ranks, but how do you think he measures up to some of these other guys? He's kind of in the middle of a lot of these guys. Like he's not quite as fluid as coordinated with the ball as a guy like Towns. Towns is just freakish self-creation ability for his size. Uh, Cousins in that same mold. They can really like dribble the ball at a high level. They can shoot off the dribble. There's a lot to work with there. I don't think that Aiton's quite that fluid. He's also not as good defensively as like a Anthony Davis type. Obviously Embiid. He's not Embiid, and a lot of people have made that comp just because of his physical stature. He's not right. the rim protector that Embiid was. That's Aiton's biggest problem, right? Is that he's not a high-level rim protector. Like he will protect the basket if he's right under it, or if he's guarding the ball, backpedaling where he moves well in space. But he's not rotating over to block shots at a high level. He doesn't have that kind of instincts anticipation combination that you look for with some of these bigs. If he had that, he might be the number one pick in the draft. Wow, interesting. Uh. Another guy that that Isaac and I have been pretty interested in, uh, Mikael Bridges. 
Um, he, he to me seems like a guy that could could really fit with Dennis Smith Jr. and Harrison Barnes, a guy that you know is a three and D type guy, doesn't necessarily need the ball when when Dennis and Harrison Barnes really really do need the ball. How do you what do you see uh, that bridges that not <laughs> not the other bridges, but this this bridges as a uh, fit with those two guys on the Mavericks? Yeah, he fits well in any team. He's one of the highest like floor ceiling three and D prospects I've seen out of the last like multiple years. He's really high level. I mean. A Ben Rubin who writes the step and compared him to uh, peak Shane Battier potentially as like a ceiling outcome. So you're talking about a really high level thinker. He's really really smart. So like off ball instincts wise, that's all there. The length, the athleticism, the shooting confidence has really arisen this year. He's always been like a pretty decent shooter, but this year he's shooting off motion a little bit. You see just the general confidence light come on in his game and that's what i was looking for but he fits well in any scheme i just think he's more of a secondary guy if the mavericks feel like dennis smith is going to be like a top 15 top 10 player i think they probably still need one more of those guys so but mikhail doesn't carry that kind of offensive ceiling but he's a really safe bet to have extreme value he's one of my favorite superstar role players in this class yeah he just seems like a guy yeah like you said he could fit anywhere he's that seven foot two wingspan that I mean that that's this is exactly what you want in a in a three and D guy guy that has incredible wingspan he can shoot it he can defend it and he doesn't need doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands. Um, let's see some of these other guys that that we're looking at. Um, I guess let's just go let's just go with Trey Young. What do you th- what do you think? Because this question has been asked to me probably too many times. <laughs> what do you think about <laughs> Trey Young potentially fitting with Dennis Smith Jr.? Let's say the Mavericks are are fifth. And some of these guys are, are off the board, and they don't—they're re- not super high. Let's say they're not high on Jaron Jackson or, or Bridges, or let's say Porter in, Porter Junior.'s injury is just too much, and they don't want to take the risk on it. And Trey Young's sitting there, Bombo's off the board, Bagley, Aiton, Doncic—like they're all off the board, and they're sitting there with Trey Young. What would what would go through the Mavericks' minds where they're like, "This could work"? Well, I think that Trey could really play off the ball, and we haven't gotten to see that this much this year, just because he is the engine for Oklahoma. Like he can't just run off screens or spot up because they just can't afford that. But when you actually see him do it, he's about as knocked down of a shooter as you'll see. He can come off motion. That's He reminds me of Stephen Curry in that way, that he can run off screens, maybe not to the same level, but right. it's pretty close to where he can set his feet quickly. Whenever he has an open shot off the catch, it's curtains. It's going in. Like he, He's that dynamic of a shooter, and he knows how to move away from the ball. So I think in that effect – like he can play off of Dennis Smith, so it's not just like both of them need the ball all the time. So that helps. Again, he's probably optimized as a primary guy. He's got awesome anticipation and passing instincts. He really can like make all the reads and pick and roll. He's got a. He's, I mean, he's the best shooter in the draft of the elite prospects. He's got 30 foot range off the dribble. So you want to utilize him off ball or on ball. I'm sorry, but he can play off of Dennis Smith. So it's not just a situation where it's like you have two primary guys that absolutely need to use possessions at all times. Right. And it would be super fun. I mean, if, if we have, you know, the <laughs> yes, maps, the maps had a game where like Dennis throws down a monster Tomahawk dunk and Trey Young's shooting from like 30. I mean, that is, those are of the two outcomes of the end of a play. Those are probably the most exciting. <laughs> you have the potential for both. Oh yeah. It, it, I think it would actually work well. It would work well offensively defensively you get into some issues with both of those guys probably being below average point guard defenders not a ton of versatility just because Dennis doesn't have the great wingspan he has the strength to make up for that in some matchups and he did play off the ball a lot this year like defending bigger twos when they go to those lineups but I mean at a certain point in the draft if Trey's there at seven or something the situation we discussed he's the best player on the board I think they have enough with Carlisle to make it work uh 
people would people would either freak out or they would be super excited <laughs> because they're like the people are wanting to get rid of JJ Barea because they want Dennis on the ball and they'd be like, Oh my gosh, we're doing this again and then you now and then maybe they bring back Seth Curry and then all of a sudden you have, you know, ten point guards again. <laughs> I'm not sure how it profiles to winning basketball, but as far as entertainment factor and offensive <laughs> fit, I think I think it could work in that capacity. Again, I think that Trey is just he's so damn smart, so skilled. He's he's probably the best like shooting, passing, dribbling combination of a lead guard over the last multiple years. I mean, he's a surefire bet to shoot. That's the one thing that really stands out to him or oh, for him. Oh, for sure. And, and teams cannot have enough shooting, definitely. Exactly. Is there anybody that we did not mention in our, our top 10? And again, you guys can go look at this on uh, Mavs Moneyball. Is there anybody in our top 10 that we did not mention that you would throw in there? That's interesting. I don't think so. I mean, if you get down to 10 or so, then Miles Bridges comes into play. I think him and Wendell Carter, you, you mentioned Wendell Carter. I like him a lot too. I think he's underrated. I have both of them in like the 10, 11 range, and then it kind of drops off a little bit. But if you're drafting where the Mavs are drafting right now, I don't think you consider either one of those guys. The draft is just too deep. You're taking Jaron Jackson there 10 times out of 10 if you're six or seven. So I wouldn't consider Wendell or, or Miles in that same category. So yeah, there's that. There's that. Seems to be that top nine, and not necessarily in this order, but uh, Doncic, Aiton, Bagley, Porter Jr., Bamba, Jaron Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, Colin Sexton, and Trey Young. That seems to be the consensus. Like those are the top nine guys, and that's that's a pretty deep class. Oh yeah, and I think Mikhail is more for quote-unquote draft Twitter. I don't know if the NBA feels the same way about him just being an upperclassman. I don't know how much they value his 3 and D upside. They probably do. He's probably a lottery for the most part, but I haven't seen him top nine in a lot of different mainstream sites. That's more so us at the step in pushing that and a lot of people on Twitter pushing that. <laughs> well, when draft Twitter gets behind something, it happens. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this or <laughs> not, but things happen. Oh, one guy I do want, I did want to talk to you before we go is uh, Michael Porter jr. Um, any any kind of like hope for him, you know, with, with with the back injury, like, do you think that he could, you know, come back full strength and that he could be, you know, as good as we thought he was going to be before? I think so. Of course, I'm not a doctor, but uh, it's going to come down to individual kind of team doctors analyzing him during the draft process. And again, he has a lot of leverage here because he could control the information flow as far as updates on his back. So if he yeah. doesn't want to go to a team in the top four, so he can potentially pick his team. Like if he wants to go to the Mavericks and the Mavericks are six, I think that's actually a plaudible and realistic option for him. But he's awesome. He's such a great prospect. And I think a lot of the NBA guys are familiar enough with him just because he's played at so many events at lower levels. Really awesome combination of size, pull-up shooting ability, shot diversity. I said a couple times he reminds me of like Paul George who plays the four full-time. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be as good defensively because I just haven't seen him at high enough levels of play yet or how good his handle is in like tight areas. But he's an awesome prospect. I have, I've had him at number two throughout the year for me. It's hard for me to move off of that. I might drop him maybe three or four at worst. Yeah, I apologize for uh, assuming that you were a doctor. I don't know. It's just kind of the question. <laughs> it's kind of the question no. that came up. What, but, do you th- what do you think about his fit on the Mavericks? Uh, I, I think that's kind of the ideal secondary score type that you'd pair next to Dennis. Dennis is going to handle the ball more, but you need what, maybe one more primary creative piece if you don't believe in Harrison Barnes aligning with Dennis's core. What do you think about that fit with, with uh, Michael Porter? Well, with the Mavericks, they, they believe that Harrison and, and Dennis are – on sort of a, a similar like a, a timeline in a sense where Harrison Barnes is he's 25 years old and so let's say by the time Dennis is hitting his prime where he's 24 25 uh Barnes will be 30 so he'll still be like in his prime so they still think that he's part of this they're definitely their long-term plans and so anything 
any kind of plan, you, you definitely have to include Barnes in that. And I think Porter Jr. and Barnes could play together, especially with the NBA becoming more and more, you know, positionless league. It's talked about all the time, but those two, I think, could definitely play together. Um, you have Porter Jr. What, what do you think about Porter Jr. off the catch, uh, like a catch-and-shoot type player? That's something I haven't seen a lot from him. Yeah, I, I trust his shooting all around. His mechanics, if you watch him shoot in person, he's got, like, ideal perfect mechanics he gets great elevation he can shoot over the top at his size really easily i think he's going to have no problem shooting nba threes at a pretty high level like i would project him eventually to get near that 40 percent range a little bit older yeah and another thing that i would be i guess concerned about i think it's a great fit but you know the three of those guys i think that that's probably my you know my ideal scenario at this point if some of these other big men are off the board but his uh one thing i'm, I'm concerned about is that we haven't seen a lot of Harrison Barnes, Dennis Smith Jr. pick and rolls, like a 1-4 or a 1-3 at all. And so if you have Michael Porter Jr., and I'm not sure Carlisle would want to do that either, like a 1-3 you know, or 1-4 with, with him either, then you have two guys that you're not able to do what, what Dennis Smith Jr. was coming out of college, was really, really good at. And so that, that would be one thing for me. I'd be like, well, I want to see them try to do that a little bit more with Harrison Barnes this year to try to uh, to maximize that. Because if you're going to to want Porter Jr. off the ball, then you're going to need some sort of action going on on the other side of the court. That's just what, you know, one question that I have about that situation. Totally agree. And I think you can run Porter off pin downs and stuff like that. That's the kind of NBA level shot making he has in his arsenal. So I'd look for that. From what I've seen the Mavericks this year, they run a lot of pick and roll. Is it fair to say that teams switch that a majority of the time with Smith? Like from what I've seen? They do, and, it, and it's, it frustrates me a lot because he doesn't he doesn't attack some of these you know bigger guys as much as he probably should. He's sort of like they switch on it, and then he's on a guy like let's say it's I don't know Mason Plumley or somebody, and you're like just go at the guy, and he you know passes out of it or, or does something else, and so yeah, but they they do switch a lot. That's what kind of makes Aiton alluring to me in this setting, just yeah. because like you're, there's no way teams are going to switch a small onto him for the most part. That's just such a mismatch creator. I mean, defensively, you're going to have your problems because I'm not sure if Smith and Aiton are both good enough defensively to compensate for one another. But offensively, you could really force switches in that capacity. So that, that'd be really interesting. Interesting. Or, no, sorry, you could negate switches in that. In that yeah. Right, right. <laughs> we, we get what you're saying. It would be good. <laughs> it would be good. But uh, I have to ask one question about this. So oh, yeah. Isaac's board has. Isaac's board has Bagley at the top. What is his rationale for Bagley? I mean, I'm guessing he just really believes in Bagley as a prospect, but is there anything specifically about the Mavericks that stands out to you guys with Bagley? He he is definitely a, you know, like you talked about at the beginning, guys that really want to have that have production and play it safe. He really believes that, you know, the Mavericks really need to hit on this draft pick. And so they really need to get a guy that's definitely gonna come in, definitely gonna have a role, definitely gonna be able to, you know, play at a high level and uh is gonna have a really high floor. So I think that went into a lot with him. He really likes it. I also think he's a U- Isaac's a UNC fan, and so I really think that a lot of it was, was him trying to to overcompensate <laughs> and not uh, not hate too much on the Duke guy. That was a jab at Isaac, but the uh, <laughs> I think that's kind of where he was going going with that. I think he just really wanted a safe prospect for sure, and just really thinks that he could be a, an impact player, especially next to Dennis Smith Jr. That's fair enough. Yeah, I think there's a lot of credence to that. What is like? the position on a lot of Mavs fans with Dennis Smith is are people satisfied with that pick. Is there like optimism? I haven't really been able to gauge too much of the Maverick fans uh, response on Twitter. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's interesting. There is a, <laughs> we do this, we do this segment on the, on the show where we call it Sottenham shame. 
and it is people that have really bad takes on either Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and we just give them the Satnam shame. <laughs> it's like an award we give because we wanted to commemorate Satnam Singh's time with the Mavericks. Uh, this comes from the the Mavericks. Uh, <laughs> there's a Mavs Nation Facebook page that is famous on the show for being awful and just having the worst, like all of the worst takes ever just go there. Somebody posted today, my unpopular opinion, Dennis Smith Jr. is fool's gold, another in the long line of athletic players to come into the league with no feel for the game. He's indecisive, has poor court awareness. He's very turnover prone. He shoots a low percentage from everywhere, including the free throw line. Even the things people are excited about are fairly mediocre. Sure, he can jump out of the building. He tries that same tomahawk dunk every game. (laughs) Half the time, getting blocked or on the way up or hung on the rim. Sooner or later, he's going to come down hard and be out for multiple games with an injury. And yeah, he's scoring 16 points per game, and he knocks most of us out of most of us <laughs> most of us out uh, with volume shooting and mostly puts up empty stats. And they continue, but I will not drone on with with what this person said. Uh, so it's either between that where people are are starting to kind of poke holes in, in his game because. The Mavericks are losing and because they want to just find something wrong with it or they're super high on him and are like, oh my gosh, how could anybody think Donovan Mitchell is a better player right now than Dennis Smith Jr.? <laughs> it's, it goes between that. So standard fandom for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. I think most people just really believe in him and they love believing in a guy because there hasn't really been anybody here. So there's, it's really fun to put hope in somebody that actually has some promise. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, he he has a lot of upside. He was always an upside play, and the primary initiators are coming to the league to play point guard, rarely adapt to the league right away, especially with the kind of usage that Smith has. It just takes a while to work out the kinks. I just think he, I'm still really high on him. I think that he's one of the only guys that can really challenge Mitchell for the best player in this class. Eventually, it's going to take him being probably the better offensive player, which is within his realm of outcomes, but it's good to see him improve. Like, he's cut down on the turnovers. I think viewing at his uh, monthly stats, he's his splits are pretty good as far as getting down to that like two turnover range instead of like the mid threes that he was in earlier this season. So you see improvements, the shooting, I believe in long term. So I'm still really high on him. I was just kind of curious on what Mavs nation thought of him. Oh, definitely. Well, that Mavs nation is not what (laughs) that Facebook group Mavs (laughs) nation is not what you want to pull for, uh, or positions on Mavericks players. But the, the turnovers is interesting because somebody posed to me earlier this week. They said, well, Dennis Smith Jr. turns it over in crunch time way too much. And the Mavericks are infamous now for having the worst, you know, clutched games record in the NBA. They've played 30 games, and I think they're uh, 7 in, like, 23 or something like that. Just, a, like, a terrible oh, record in clutch games. And somebody said, well, Dennis Smith Jr. turns it over way too much in, in clutch games. Well, he's played 60 minutes in the clutch, And which is uh, less than five minutes with, you know, the point differential being five points. And he's only turned it over five times where LeBron has played like 89 minutes. He's turned it over 11 times just for reference, you know, not saying he's better than LeBron, (laughs) but like just, just for reference of that number Uh, five times in 60 minutes in, in clutched moments where it's, you know, really tight and it's the end of the game. I mean, that is, that to me is very promising number. Yeah, I think I, I saw you tweet that the other day, I want to say. But uh, yeah, he's just going to take a little bit of time. But I do think that the rewards are going to be high if he does hit. And he's in a good system. I trust Carlisle with him. He needs kind of that disciplinarian that will pull him out when he does something bad and coach him, actually. Yeah. Like if he went to Sacramento or something, to be honest, I would be a lot lower on him. But he's a high upside play. And I think that uh, the Mavs did really well with themselves at nine. They're they're definitely happy with themselves. They are not uh, upset about it in at all. <laughs> pretty Pretty much yeah. at all. Uh, and who would expect who would expect Donovan Mitchell at this point to be better than Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, you know, De'Aaron Fox, Dennis with Junior, Frank Nilakina? Who would have expected that at this point? 
He's been he's been so incredible. I, yeah, I, I, nobody like the guys I know that were really really high on him had him like seventh, and nobody yeah. saw him being the best player. I don't think a single person said he'd be the best player in this class. And I mean, we don't know what Fultz is going to be if he ever returns from this weird <laughs> kind what? of scene of like Gosh. series of events. Yeah, nobody knows what's going on. Ah. That video the other day that they posted of of Markel Fultz shooting, I don't know if you could call it a hitch in his shot. There was like his whole shot was like a hitch. There is just something about it, man. It's so weird to me. That's just the one it's of the so, weirdest situations we've ever seen. It's devastating to like watch that guy at UW. I watched him a ton last year, being from the area. He looks like a ghost of himself. It's it's so disconcerting. Like when they, when they were playing him early this year, that was I, I could barely watch extra games, and it's just it's so unfortunate. He's such a high level prospect, but I, I guess there's like off the off the court concerns, and I don't know. It's this is the manifestation of that. It's just crazy. Gosh, you really hope he doesn't turn into like an Anthony Davis. Not Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis, Anthony Bennett. Sorry, <laughs> wow, I just got my Anthony's confused. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that'd be a pretty good outcome. No, no yeah, I, I got yeah, for sure, hundred percent. Oh man. Well, the website is the Stepian. If you guys are not going there every single day to get your draft coverage, you're doing something wrong. Uh, they also have the Ode to Odin and the Stepian podcast, which I've really, really enjoyed hearing about some guys that I've never even heard of before in my life. So, really good stuff from Cole. Cole, thank you so much for joining us in Lockdown Mavericks. Thank you for having me. All right, peace out. Boom.